This is the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 110, The Zone of Resilience. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. How are you doing today? How is life treating you? How are you treating life? I hope that things are going, well, are going 50-50. And I hope you're in the good 50% right now. So as I mentioned in the past couple episodes this year, I am trying to do a deeper dive in some of the main tools that I teach and diving more into stress and burnout and compassion fatigue, all things that I love to talk about. And I'll be doing some individual episodes on each topic. I know last week I did one on compassion fatigue and I've got a couple upcoming on secondary traumatic stress and burnout. So stay tuned for those. But today, I wanted to share with you one of my most favorite tools that I use. It's a framework that I use all the time, and it has really helped me personally in being who I want to be, showing up how I want to show up, and it has really helped me improve my resilience. I always love doing the work on myself first because that to me is the biggest proof as to whether something works or not. Obviously, not all things work with all people because we're all individuals, but I love it when I come across something that has been really beneficial to me and I start to share it with my clients and they start to love it and they start to see the benefits. That just gets me so excited and that's why I want to share it with you. But before I share this actual tool, I'm going to have to go back just a little bit and give you a little bit of groundwork. So hopefully this episode won't be too long, but stick with it if it is, because it is so worth it to integrate this tool in your life. So I want to go back and set a little bit of the context for you. We talked about two voices in your head and getting to calm way back on earlier episodes, episodes six and seven. So you can go back and have a listen to those. And I want to do a quick recap of what we talked about there because it's such an important concept and it really ties into the framework that I want to teach you today. And like I said, this framework, I just love it. So as you may recall, or if you've listened to the episode, we have different parts of our brain that is responsible for different things. Now there is a more primitive part of our brain, which is can be referred to so many different names, but the survival brain, I love to call it monkey brain. And basically that includes the areas like the cerebellum, the brainstem and the spinal cord and all the things that are done in those areas of the brain. Now there's another part of our brain, which is more of midbrain, which is called the limbic system. And it too can be considered a more primitive part of the brain. And I sort of lump that all together. And it houses kind of like a radar detector, which is called the amygdala. And then there is the thinking, the rational part of our brain, which is housed in our frontal lobe, our prefrontal cortex, which is where all your thinking and executive function skills are. And I call that the CEO. So both brains, this primitive and this newer brain, a rational brain, they play really crucial roles. But the primitive part of our brain is trying to look out for us. It's trying to protect us. But it does not know the difference between a real threat, real danger, when it truly needs to protect us, 
and perceived threat or perceived danger when it really doesn't need to be so protective. So I love using the analogy. It's like we have a smoke detector in our brain, and whenever it senses smoke, it sets off an alarm. Unfortunately, it will call the fire department saying it's a three-alarm fire, fire department needs to get here, even when the house is not on fire, but we've just burnt toast. So our brain doesn't know the difference. Smoke sends the three-alarm fire, and everything gets kicked into action. Another analogy that I love to use is with my cute little dog, Reggie. He's a Westie, and he loves to sit at our back doors that are glass doors that lead out into the backyard, and he loves to watch. And if he sees something in the backyard, especially if he were to see a person in there, he would go crazy, barking like crazy. He barks when he sees squirrels, and we've had some raccoons that have come right up to the door to taunt and tease him. Raccoons are a big problem in Toronto. I don't know if it's like that elsewhere. But anyhow, so obviously he freaks out. He senses danger. And rightfully, if there's somebody in my backyard, I want him freaking out because they shouldn't be in my backyard. However, in the winter, we just had like last night, a fresh snowfall and we got a bunch of trees back there and the trees can get really heavy with snow. And so sometimes, you know how the snow just falls to the ground and like in a big clump, well, he goes crazy if he sees that too, because he thinks that's danger. So he is barking and having a reaction and letting us know, freaking out whether there's an intruder in our backyard or whether there's snow falling. So our brain kind of does that. It does not know the difference between the real and the perceived threats. This primitive brain, very sensitive to everything, and it often misreads these cues. It scans for danger in our environment or inside of us, like our inner critic, or even between two people or two things. So if it senses danger, it is activated. The signal sent, and it's important to note that it's not under conscious control. And that's huge to know. A message is sent, our nervous system reacts. It basically works under the concept of something called neuroception, which I won't get into here, but that was a term coined by Stephen Porges, who is the creator of the polyvagal theory. And we'll talk about that on another episode, but just important for you to know that your nervous system responds unconsciously as it's constantly scanning for danger and safety. And so your system gets activated if it senses danger, whether it's real or not. So our brains can go a little bit crazy. They get triggered, they head into protection mode, and they go into what we call the stress response. And that's sometimes also called the fight or flight stress response. And there can be freeze and fawn as well, but we won't get into those right this second. Now, monkey, always scanning for danger, thinks it's everywhere. So it's preparing your body to fight or flight if it thinks it's in danger. And if it's really bad, it will prepare it to freeze. So the stress response kicks off the release of all sorts of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol and activates our body's sympathetic nervous system. All right. Now, briefly, we have an autonomic nervous system, which is two main states, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is what I'm referring to as a stress response, whereas parasympathetic is more like the state of calm or a relaxed state. They call it rest and digest. Now, you cannot be in both states at the same time. When you're in the sympathetic, then you're activated and you will feel stressed. Now, remember, your body and brain are preparing for survival. So they are getting ready to fight or flight, which means that they're going to be shutting down all the unnecessary functions in the body and moving all resources towards survival. So your heart rate, your breathing, your blood flow, all ready to go. 
Now we don't need the digestive system or reproductive system. So let's put those on hold. So the nervous system is very smart that it does this, especially if you are in danger. Now to give you an idea of what you may be feeling, we can be feeling things in our body and this can feel like a change in your breathing pattern. Maybe your breath is coming really fast or feel really shallow. Your digestion may change. So often people have cramping or the stress poops. They may feel a lot of tightness in muscles. Your mood can even change. You get more irritated, annoyed, and agitated, almost like a volcano going to explode. And you may start to feel really anxious or get sweaty palms or maybe even feel a bit dizzy. You may develop headaches. You can get tunnel vision because you may get super, super focused on one thing. And you want all these changes if you're in danger because you want to respond to danger in this way because you want to be protected. So we are ready to fight or flight to get moving and survive. But remember, this primitive brain actually doesn't know the difference between real danger or pretend danger. We don't know the difference between the real threat and the perceived threat. So our nervous system reacts and gets into an activated state. Now, one big challenge with being activated is that you cannot access your thinking skills. And they have little sayings like when emotions are high, intelligence is low. And think about like when you're upset or you're feeling really stressed out, sometimes people will say things like, I can't even think straight. You're right, because you can't. Physiologically, you aren't able to access that prefrontal cortex where all your thinking is going to be taking place. So this is really good if we're in danger, but if we're not in danger, we don't need to have this kind of protective response. We don't want to be reacting like this all the time. We don't want to be stressed out all the time because not only does it not feel good, it's not good for us in the longer term. The stress response is a protective response. It is there to protect us. So it's a short-term thing. It's meant to be activated for a short period when we need it for survival. But it is not the state that we're meant to be in or that we want dominant. If it gets activated when it doesn't need to be, it actually becomes maladaptive. And if we're in it too long or if it's always activated or unnecessarily activated, this chronic stress, chronic activation can cause all sorts of disruptions and illnesses to our body. So think about like cardiovascular problems, digestive problems, autoimmune problems, mental health, anxiety, depression, burnout, fatigue. It can all start to impact the quality of our relationships even. The stories we tell, how we think, how we communicate with each other, how we feel and how we act. So in this chronic state, if we are chronically activated Overall, it is not good for our health. So we need to learn how to calm ourselves down. Now, again, nothing has gone wrong. Your body and your brain are doing everything it is supposed to do. We just don't want the stress state to be the dominant one and to rule. We want a healthy stress response when we are truly in danger at response. And when we are not in danger, we don't want it to respond. Otherwise, it becomes maladaptive. When we're actually safe, we're in no real threat, we have no need for it to be responding. Now, it is important to note that we do need to have some stress in our body. There is good stress, and that is often referred to as eustress. This is the kind of stress that we feel that is more of an excitement and energy that gets you all pumped up, say, to go on stage, to perform, to run a race. And good stress is good. And there's something called the Yerkes-Dodson Law. And as I've mentioned before, I'm working on a free video series that is part of it. I'll explain the Yerkes-Dodson Law. So be on the lookout for that when I launch it shortly. But basically, it's a law that I teach to my clients that there's a healthy amount of stress that you do need and want 
I won't go into it a little bit more, but just know that there is good stress as well as know that how we think about stress also makes a huge difference. And we talked about that on episode 25 of Stress Mindset. So you may want to go back there and have a listen. Now, the other branch, the parasympathetic state, is the state that we want to have as more dominant. And it's referred to as the rest and digest state. And it is a healing state because this is a state that all our functioning comes back online. Our digestion, reproduction, very important, our thinking skills. And this is a state where our healing can take place. This is where we feel more balanced and resilient, where we have connections with others. We feel safe where we're anchored. This is a state of connection as opposed to a state of protection like the sympathetic system is. So a healthy state, a healthy response, a healthy nervous system is not to have no stress. It is to be able to go back and forth with ease before a more activated and a more relaxed state. It's being able to respond appropriately to whatever it is that we're faced with, to go between the sympathetic state back to a parasympathetic state of rest and digest as needed. We don't want our stress state to be the dominant one. We want to get more comfortable being home and anchored in that rest and digest. So we need to learn how to do this. All right. Now, finally, let me take it a step further and introduce you to the framework and the concept that I think is super helpful in learning about the nervous system. Like I said, I teach my clients a few different frameworks to see which one resonates with them best and helps them not only learn what I'm sharing, but really be able to integrate it into their daily lives. And the one I'm going to talk to you about today is one that resonates with me the most. It's where we divide things up into zones. It is often just referred to as the window of tolerance model, or sometimes it's referred to as the zone of optimal performance. And I like to call it the zone of resilience model and zone of resilience because we're able to, in this zone, handle things, bend and not break, deal with adversity while still staying focused on our main goals. So the window of tolerance model was initially introduced by Dr. Dan Siegel. There's an actual window of tolerance in the model that's considered the optimal zone to be functioning in in order to effectively deal with day-to-day life and stressors. Now, remember, stressors are all those things that can be external or internal that are part of the equation of how we develop stress. So I want you to just picture in your mind drawing a big block. And you're going to draw a big block. Then above it, you're going to draw another section and above it another section. And then below the big block, you're going to draw two more sections. So basically, you're going to have a page on your page of five sections. Don't worry about the size of the blocks just yet. They are important, but we'll get to them. In the middle zone is this zone of resilience or the window of tolerance. This is a zone, I kind of like to think of it as a green light zone. This is where you can process emotions in a healthy way. You can react to stresses in your life. You can manage anxiety and more intense emotions. You are able to deliberately and intentionally choose how you want to react to things, the kind of life you want to create. It's a comfort zone as well. It's a safe and secure zone where you're able to self-soothe and self-regulate. You are able to communicate effectively. You're able to engage interpersonally with ease. You're able to connect. Now you still have ups and downs within this zone, but you're more balanced. Now there's a famous theory that I mentioned earlier called the polyvagal theory. And if you're familiar with it, they call this state the ventral vagal state, which is a safety social zone. 
I'll do a podcast probably on that down the road, but it basically talks about similar zones, but it uses slightly different language and framework. So this is the zone where connection happens and where we want to be at home. Now, when the balance gets impacted, either through more extreme stress, chronic stress or trauma, this zone or this window of tolerance can shrink and become much smaller and much more narrow. And when it is so small, it can actually become really hard to stay in that zone or it just becomes easier to leave that zone. So there are many things that can impact the size of this zone as well, like our daily stress levels, our level of fatigue, any kind of illness or injury or emotional or mental health state. So this window in the middle may shrink. And again, we can have a much harder time staying in it because it is so narrow or it becomes super easy to leave because there's not much flexibility. It's too narrow. Now, what happens is we may end up leaving this zone. And when we leave this zone, this is where you begin to dysregulate and your body tends to start reacting defensively. Now, this is normal and healthy when you are in an unhealthy or a dangerous situation. But remember, our brain tricks us and has trouble differentiating between the real threat and actual danger and a perceived threat. And as a result, you can enter into dysregulation more easily, whether the threat is real or not. So think of it like you wake up every single day with good intentions. You're going to have a great day and you're going to stay in this zone. You're feeling good. And then maybe you end up running a little late or one of your kids doesn't cooperate or you spill something or you can't find your wallet. So you may be starting to feel a little bit more activated. You may be moving up and down within that zone of resilience. Things going well, things going wrong, all totally normal stuff. And if you have a wide window, then you're just going to be moving up and down. But if your window is narrow because of chronic stress or fatigue or illness or injury, then little things may just put you over the edge. We all know what it can feel like when minor things set you off. We may say that, oh, that was a straw that broke this camel's back. Basically, you're leaving your window of tolerance. You're leaving that zone of resilience. And it's okay to leave. We just want to know how to get back. So the problem arises when you leave that zone so frequently, and then you end up getting stuck outside of it. Because when you get stuck outside of it, you enter into a fight, flight, or freeze state that we'll talk about in a moment. All right. So as you are leaving your zone of resilience, you may not automatically jump into this activated state. There can be some warning signs, kind of like a dashboard on your car. You don't run out of gas completely. You get a light on your dashboard that signals you're running low. So this is like dysregulation and it occurs when you start to head out of your window of tolerance or that zone of resilience. So it's kind of like the yellow light sending you a signal, you're entering a little bit of a danger zone. So you may start to feel uncomfortable. You're not out of control yet, but you may feel like you're getting to your limit, maybe feeling close to the edge. Maybe you're getting a little irritated or frustrated or feeling a rise in your body. Maybe you're holding back some tears or maybe starting to get a little bit snippy. So ideally, you want to try to get back to your window when you start veering out of it. And if you're not able to regulate, if you're not able to get back to your window, then you will enter into one of two different states, hyperarousal, the sympathetic state, or hypoarousal. 
Now we usually enter into the hyper arousal state first, and this is where the sympathetic state is, fight or flight. So this is a zone of hyper arousal. This is like the red zone. Think of it like having too much energy or activation. You may have a heightened sense of anxiety. You may become overly sensitive or defensive or have a lot of aggression, have a lot of overthinking. This is really fight or flight. Now, there's also a freeze response, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But hyperarousal is where we enter first. If things are a threat to us, we tend to go into flight or fight first. Now, if things are so threatening to us, what happens is we will actually enter into a zone of shutdown. Let's talk a little bit about hypoarousal. Now, below our zone of resilience, we have that first area, which is dysregulation. And that dysregulation is sort of the yellow light symbolizing, okay, there's something going on. So you may start to feel a little bit more fatigued, a little bit more flat. And then if you continue downwards, you're going to enter the zone of hypoarousal. So think of that as not having enough energy or enough activation. You may feel very emotionally flat, unable to express yourself, and this is also a protective zone. Both hyper and hypoarousal are protective zones. So go back to your little drawing. In the middle, you got a green zone, the window of tolerance, the zone of resilience. On top of that, you have a yellow zone, which is the warning zone. And then above that, you have the red zone of hyperarousal. This is a zone of too much energy. So I'd like to refer to it as you constantly being stuck on, on. You just can't turn off. You are stuck on, on. Now, below the green zone of the window of tolerance and the zone of resilience is another yellow zone of dysregulation that heads down into the zone of hypoarousal, the lower red zone where it is where you are stuck on, off. This is too little energy. There is shutdown. And like I said, just going to repeat it because I know it's important for the brain when it's learning new things to have repetition. Generally, we leave the green zone. We get activated first in hyperarousal. That's where we have fight and flight and even freeze can come into play there. And then if we're seriously threatened, we head down to hypoarousal or shutdown state, a collapsed, a low energy state, helpless, hopeless energy. That is where burnout lives. Now, within hyper and hypoarousal states, we have four terms that are often used, and I've been using them so far, fight and flight and freeze and fawn is another one. So I wanted to give you just a couple of signs and symptoms that you can see where you might be getting stuck, because sometimes you may not know what does it look like to be stuck in flight or to be stuck in fight? What does it look like to be stuck in that hyper aroused zone? All the symptoms in those areas can occur either in your mind, in your body, or in your heart. So basically your thoughts, your physical symptoms, or your emotions. If you are stuck in flight, what it's going to start looking like is a lot of worry and concern and anxiety and fear and even panic. Sometimes people are chronically busy and when they're not doing something, they're thinking about doing something. A lot of nervous energy, frantic. Maybe you're going to startle easy, be very jumpy or fidgety, constantly comparing yourself to others, lots of racing thoughts, overthinking, often seeking perfection, hard to slow down, hard to connect to the body. So that's what somebody looks like when they are stuck in flight. 
Now, if fight is one of the methods that you go to, you're going to be very reactive, frustrated, angry, rage, fear, confrontational, hostile, combative. You can also be nervous and anxious and frantic. You can get very defensive. You can feel emotionally unsafe, have a lot of overwhelm. Also, you can have racing or obsessive thoughts, overthinking, panicked, poor judgment, be super hypervigilant. You may focus on how unfair things are, be very intolerant of other people, and you can't relax in your body either. Now, the freeze state, all of these are in that hyperarousal, too much energy. In that freeze state, panic is probably the most common experience of freeze. So people are highly charged, fearful, activated, and alert, but they can also be stiff, frozen in place, and unable to move. So you're present enough to experience discomfort, but you can become like in full freeze mode where you can't think. Now, I do just want to mention that freeze, it's not the same as complete shutdown. When you are freezing, there is still energy attached to it. So it's like an activated state, whereas shutdown is slightly different. It's more of a collapse state. Shutdown is more collapsing or going limp, whereas freeze is more stiffening. And freeze is really the combination of sympathetic arousal plus shutdown. And it's like flight and fight in combination with immobilization. So when you're activated, you have a response to fight or flight, all those things that I just described for you. But you can also have a response of freeze where you panic and freeze. And all of these stages are fueled by extra energy. Now, if the body cannot mitigate a danger through these channels, if it can't do it first in the zone of resilience by just going up and down and adjusting, attempts to resolve things in that zone, if that doesn't work, it heads into the hyperarousal, it will go into the flight, like running from things, or the fight, fighting for things. And if it can't manage things, then you may end up going into an immobile collapse, a shutdown into the hypo arousal. And the symptoms that show up in mind, body, heart, and hypo arousal are things like in shutdown, you'll feel helpless, depressed, numb. Often there's dissociation, there's shame lives there hopelessness, trapped, disconnected, withdrawn. Sometimes people feel very foggy or disoriented or spaced out. They can feel abandoned and unwanted and not good enough. Overwhelm can be there too. There's no energy, lifeless, immobilized, numbing. Often there's reduced physical movement. And this again is where burnout lives. Now there is one more term that is in more of a hypoarousal state and that is the term fawning. We don't talk about it a ton, but it's often linked to people pleasing, like over apologizing where there's no boundaries. People, you'll agree with them in disagreements. You'll give up your own needs. You'll comply with others. You may have difficulty saying no, worried about what other people think, indecision, inaction, codependence. You can't be happy unless others are happy. Sometimes you're a peacemaker at your own expense. 
there can be a numbing or a dulling of senses and really a disconnect from your body and needs. Now, I do want to be clear that not all people pleasing is a form of a threat response. And people pleasing that I'm talking about here is when people use it to try to stay safe. You're feeling threatened. So like, think of it like an animal who plays dead when being attacked in hope that he'll just be left alone. All right, so those are some of the symptoms to look out for. You can get a feel for where you tend to go and what happens. You do not want to stay stuck in these hyper or hypo states chronically, but it is normal for us to meander in and out of them, but we just don't want to stay stuck there. Our goal is first really to become aware of what zone we generally tend to be in. Get familiar with what it's like to be in that zone. What happens in your body? What happens in your brain? Get curious of the symptoms. And you want to be working on being very accepting and loving and compassionate with yourself. You are not doing anything wrong. Sometimes what happens is we end up staying stuck in a state For reasons of protection throughout your life, your brain and your body follows, it stays stuck in a state, and it often, it's like we reset what our normal zone is. So for some people, they can be in a state for so long that the nervous system actually resets, and that hyper or hypo aroused state becomes more of the norm. We need to learn how to get back into that zone of resilience. And that zone of resilience is where there's safety, calm, settled, peaceful, present, compassionate, creative, open, curious, receptive. This is where you self-regulate and self-soothe. You have boundaries. You think and feel simultaneously. Your mind, your body, and your heart are connected. So this window of tolerance is like that calm state in the middle layer. Again, above it is an overactive state, fight, flight, or freeze, too much arousal, high energy, and you basically need to cool down. And below the zone of resilience is that shutdown, underactive state, lower energy. It's like you need to warm up. Now, we all have different windows of tolerance. We all can get dysregulated. We all will at times go into hyper or hypo arousal. We will all go from this window of tolerance, that green zone, first up to hyper and then down to hypo if we can't take care of things. But to suffice it to say, we are all going to experience all these different zones. We just have a tendency of the zone that we end up staying in or getting stuck in. So it's really helpful for you to start becoming aware of what it feels like for you to be in your zone of resilience. And then what contributes to your dysregulation? We want to spend as much time in our zone of resilience as possible because that is where we're able to create and accomplish things. That's where healing takes place. This is where healthy relationships reside. So we want to grow that zone and live in it as much as possible. And at the same time, we know that it's normal to go up and down within the window and inevitably we are going to get dysregulated. We're going to head into that yellow zone and then it's normal to go into those red zones. We just don't want to stay stuck there. 
We already talked about how it's not good for us health-wise, physically, mentally, cognitively, spiritually. But what zone you are in is also going to impact the story that you will tell, the thoughts you have, the feelings you have. Now, we're going to go into that in a lot more detail in another episode. But for now, just know that you want to be in your green zone, your zone of resilience. Be moving in and out of other zones as flexibly as possible. So you want to build up your awareness. So here's what I'm going to leave you with, a little bit of homework if you feel like building your awareness and learning to befriend your nervous system. The first thing is spend some time identifying what are some of the symptoms that alert you that you are entering dysregulation. So what are the things that are happening in your body and mind that are like the yellow light warning signs? And you can even divide it up to what happens to your thoughts, what happens to your feelings, what happens in your body. Now, the second thing I want you to do, what do you think are things that you can do to widen your zone of resilience? I'm going to go through a lot of these in future episodes, but I want you to start thinking about it now. What are the things that help you stay calm, that help you be more patient and tolerant and resilient, help you be more creative and grounded? One of our main goals is to always be working on widening that window as much as possible. And the more time we can spend in the zone, the more resilient we, beca- we can become. So we really want to be doing activities that grow the zone. So sit down and ask yourself, what are some things that help you stay calm, patient, resilient, creative? And lastly, one of our other goals is to learn how to move from being dysregulated back to regulation. And we call this self-regulation. So what are the things that you know already you can do to bring yourself into that state of relaxation? So again, three things. What are your warning signs that you're leaving your window? How do you grow your window so you can stay in it as long as possible? And if you do leave your window, what are the things that you can do to get yourself back into that zone? Now, in future episodes, I'm definitely going to be helping you more about expanding your zone, widening that window, and moving back and forth, because this is the secret to becoming resilient. This is the secret to resolving and preventing burnout. This is the secret to more fulfilling relationships and creating more joy. And this is what I work on with my clients. I love to share with you so much of the theory, but if you really want to implement it, if you really want to speed up the process, if you want to see it in action and see the difference in your life, then coaching may be for you. It's one thing to learn. It's another thing to apply it and integrate it in your own life. So if you need help, then please reach out to me. You can find me at Leah Davidson Life Coaching on Instagram and Facebook, or send me an email at Leah at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. Hope you have a good week, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.